Today we are celebrating the advent of joy. Please stand for the reading of God's word. The first reading is from Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counsel, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The second reading is from 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Be joyful, always pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The third reading is from Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8. There is a time for everything, and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born, and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to uproot. A time to kill, and a time to heal. A time to tear down, and a time to build. A time to weep, and a time to laugh. A time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones, and a time to gather them. A time to embrace, and a time to refrain. A time to search, and a time to give up. A time to keep, and a time to throw away. A time to tear down and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. The fourth reading is from Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Your attitude should be the same as that Christ, wait, that of Christ Jesus, who being in every nature God did not consider e equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself a nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made, being made in a human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue, tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Please pray with me for today's message. Lord, thank you for the joy you provide us through your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that you will just bless the preacher today as he delivers your word. Amen. At this time, the children may be dismissed to Sunday school, and you may be seated. Thank you. Thank you so much. Excuse me. Well, welcome, everybody. It's so good to see everyone this morning. Hope you're having a really great time and being encouraged by the Word of God in this, uh, in this season um, as we reflect on the coming of Christ. Amen. 
I do want to take uh, a few minutes before I start the sermon just to pray um, for a few different needs. Um, I, I don't know if you, you all know this, but Joe Marin and Pat Marin aren't here. Um, they, they're normally here, but Joe's uh, mother recently passed away. So um, they're, they're at the funeral right now, so we're just going to pray for them. Also, there was a, a, a tragedy that happened. Um, the former pastor of a, of a congregational church in Bristol um, recently ended his own life. Um, and it was um, many years ago that he was the pastor there. But there's a lot of grieving people right now at the church there. So um, we're, we're going to pray for them. You know, this is obviously a very difficult time for them. So could you just please join me in prayer? God, we, um, we find it hard to talk about joy in the midst of such chaos and grief. Um, but nevertheless, we come to you, our faithful God, our creator, and we ask you for comfort in the lives of those who are grieving. God, we think of this, uh, this, this, past, this late pastor, Randall, um, um, this tragedy that struck his family. I pray, Lord, that whatever is going on in their minds or in their hearts right now, that, like your word says in Psalm 34, you are near to those with a broken heart. So, God, I pray, Lord, that you would be near to them, that you would heal them, that you would comfort them. And we also want to ask for a special blessing for, um, for Joe Marin um, and for his family, God. We ask, Lord, that you would just comfort them in this time of loss as they reflect, God, and remember, um, as he remembers his mom. I pray, Lord, that, um, that you would just heal him and comfort him and help him to know the, the joy that can come through his faith in Jesus Christ. God, we just ask that you bless them in their time of grief. In Christ's name, amen. I did want to um, welcome David and Joyce Jackson. They're sitting right there. Can you guys just wave? There they are. David and Joyce, yeah, can you give them a round of applause? They're here from, what town is it that you live in? Marlboro, Marlboro, Mass. Yeah, so they pretty much are very, they're very influential in the Baptist Convention of New England. Um, they have just a great function and role there. And we're just so happy that they're with us. Um, what they do there and just their staff um, at the convention really makes this possible for us. Um, it, they provide us with so many different resources of training, um, finances, um, for, for me personally, month to month, but also just kind of like funds for us to, we're doing a great Christmas Eve event. A lot of that is getting paid for by the, con the Baptist Convention in New England. So we're just so grateful for them. Thank you for being here. Would you please just say hi to them before you leave and give them a round of applause? Thank you. I want to focus on 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, um, that reading in particular, um, um, as part of our Advent readings. I want to take a look at this one in particular. And I want to start actually with verse 12 and then read verses 16 through 19 again, just to get it into our minds. It says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you that your word is living and active, that it's powerful and that I can speak to any situation that we might find ourselves in this morning, whether that be in a place of great joy and peace or great sorrow and grief. So we come to you expecting to hear from you and expecting to be healed and informed and encouraged by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, when I was studying at Gordon-Conwell, I had a professor named David Spencer. He was my systematic theology professor and some of you might be somewhat familiar with, with him because he, he and his wife, Ida, actually both 
teach at Gordon-Conwell. They're both professors at Gordon-Conwell and very brilliant people, uh, and they're authors too, so maybe perhaps some of you have heard of them. But when I was studying there, um, it, uh, it came to my attention this little poem that he had written, uh, D Dr. Spencer, um, which it was called, To Limp is to Show Forth the Glory of God. To Limp is to Show Forth the Glory of God. And in the poem, he considers different figures, just kind of twisted figures in Scripture who have known the pains of suffering, um, who have known what it's like to go through grief and tragedy. And in the poem, he considers these figures who, had su who, had, who suffered in Scripture, and he closes his poem with this little stanza as a prescription for suffering. He says, my heel is stung, my heel like on your foot, my heel is stung, but its head is crushed. Take once for eternity, daily for pain. <laughs> That's his prescription. And what's he talking about? Genesis chapter 3, Satan introduces all of the sin and misery that we see into this, in this world. And God promises a victor, a champion, Jesus Christ, who would conquer and crush the head of Satan. But it would cost him something. It would give him a bruise on his heel. So in the same breath as God is cursing the serpent for bringing this profound trouble on the human race, his prescribed victory would mark the victor with a bruise. A bruise, a limp. And some of us, I think, feel as if life is kind of a limping life, don't you think? That it's, it can be tough, it can be challenging, there can be suffering. Confusing things happen, where, we, where it challenges the very faith that we had or thought we had in God, it, God himself. All Christians everywhere, said Dr. Spencer, follow this descendant whose heel is bruised. All of us. Anyone who has put faith in Jesus Christ, this might not be great news for you this morning, but you have a bruise. You have a limp because you follow the champion, you follow the victor, and his cross you carry as well. Now, I can't talk about joy. He said, well, Kyle, come on, man, I thought this was about joy. Um, I can't talk about joy without talking about suffering. I, I just can't. All Christians, excuse me, um, I, I know it might seem kind of like a wet blanket on what should be a happy sermon, you know, like, um, but it's suffering that makes us thirsty for joy, doesn't it? When we go through great times of trouble, we long for days of refreshment in our memory where we had happiness and peace and things just sort of made sense. It's suffering that makes us thirsty for joy. You know, when, when, especially if we've had it, if we've known it, and then we hit the wall. You know what I'm talking about? And we're on our back. It, it's, prof it's a profound loss. And sometimes all we're doing in life is just trying to get it back. And, and also to talk about joy to those people who might be in deep pain and sorrow seems a, a little bit obtuse. Dr. Spencer and his wife Ida, both scholars, right, like I said, at Gordon-Conwell, they, they co-wrote a book called Joy Through the Night. Wonderful little book. And I remember um, David in one of the classes telling us about his life. When, when he was a boy, his mom and dad were two very godly people. They, were, they loved the Lord. His father was very hardworking. He had a painting business that was very successful. And he actually had a really good speaking gift. So he was sought after as an evangelist. And he would go all over the town and different places to proclaim the gospel to people. 
they, they, he, he talks about his family as, as just being a very happy family, not, not cruel or proud or anything like this. And Ida actually writes sarcastically, they were living proof that God blesses those who work hard and love Jesus. Because <laughs> that's what you get, right? When you work hard and love Jesus, you get a rainbow every day and nothing bad happens to you, right? One day when David was a small boy, his sister, who was 11, asked her mom, so David was about six, I think, um, so her sister is 11, asks her mom to go on a swimming trip. And she's very busy. She just kind of agrees. Yeah, sure, whatever, go ahead. Um, later on that day, she gets a knock on the door. It's two police officers who proceeded to hand her a bag of clothes and asked her where she would like the daughter's body sent. She hadn't even been told yet that she had died. Wow. Six years old, young David, this is my professor, he's in his 70s now. Six years old, um, my professor talked about from that day forward, his father just decayed and shrunk away to misery. He blamed himself when she had passed away in that drowning accident. They were supposed to be on a family vacation together, but his business was booming. He didn't want to turn down clients, so he said, can't vacation off. So now he blames himself. Eventually, it, at a painting, he, had, he went through a painting accident. He would fall off a ladder that would basically incapacitate him for the rest of his life. He lost his daughter. He lost his business. He eventually left the church, and he stopped doing evangelistic talks. And Ida writes in the book, Joy Through the Night, that he sank into an old age of regret, silent, silently bemoaning his lost daughter and his lost life. Tragedy. Tragedy strikes, and he eventually died in this lonely despair. Knowing the profound nature of human loss and suffering, friends, I want you to consider again these two words from our Advent reading. Rejoice evermore. You might, if you're going through something like David and his family went through and his father, you might find these words infuriating. Rejoice evermore, yet there they are. Here they are, in, in black and white, plain as day, in our scripture, spoken to those who are going through great trial and loss, and to, spoken to those who are happy as clams. Rejoice evermore. You know, the Apostle Paul wasn't disconnected by the way or untouched by suffering. He's not... Just, and he's not saying either that tragedy should make us somehow feel good. Right? That's not what he's saying. That we should just kind of shrug it off and be happy. That would be cruel. What he is saying, and this is the point of our sermon this morning, what he is saying is that joy is the birthright of every single Christian. And you have access to it no matter what the tragedy that hits your life. Joy even through the night. That somehow, even in times of immense grief, we're not destined to sink into an old age of regret and despair. That is not your lot in life because something tragic has happened to you. The advent of Christ, friends, is the advent of joy. It's the birthright of all Christians as is hope, peace, and love. The four, ad the four sermons in Advent. You know John Adams, our second president? There's this wonderful little mini-series on his life on Netflix. But um, 
It's based on a book called uh, John Adams, really creative, um, by David McCullough. And um, John Adams, he talks about just the, the, he was kind of a miserable crank. Like that's the way that he's presented in the book. He's just kind of grumpy, complains a lot, kind of short with everybody. Um, and, and also went through a lot of tragedy in himself. He lost his son. He lost his wife. At the end of his life, he says this, according to David McCullough. This phrase, rejoice evermore, shall never be out of my heart, memory, or mouth again as long as I live. They are two very powerful words, even for those going through great trial. Rejoice evermore. I think what he meant, what John Adams meant, was that he was going to choose joy. That all the reasons that he had compiled for much of his life to remain in bitterness, and this is what we do. Tragedy strikes and it breaks us, it crushes us, and we remain in the discouragement and despair that so often accompany the loss. But what he learned was that he could grieve, but he didn't have to be angry. He could grieve, but he didn't have to be bitter. That he could come out of the other side of that grief with great joy, gospel joy. And you say, well, how? How, young man? There was a, there was a, there's a way to hurt without it leading to a miserable existence, friends. You can do this. Rejoice evermore, Paul says. And we're going to see the source of this joy this morning, even through dark valleys of life in three ways. The Christ the community, and the presence. And I want to unpack these a little bit for us this morning. The Christ, the community, and the presence. We're going to look at, uh, in our scripture, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, what this means. So let's first look at the Christ. Number one, Paul tells us in our text to rejoice always. You might have noticed this. The KJV says rejoice evermore. Pantate kerate, kairete in Greek. And like all other, so rejoice evermore. Here's the sentence. What's the context? Like all letters and like all literature, these words have a context. They're not just, we're not just supposed to lift them out of that context and think that somehow we can just magically say the words and we're going to be happy. What's the context? What's, what's the source for Paul's joy and rejoicing? We have to look at this. Joy in scripture is inseparable from Christian living. Did you know this? That there is really no such thing as a miserable Christian. There shouldn't be. And if there is, we have to examine ourselves, examine our hearts, and ask what's going on. Because in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is the gift of God to all people who have put faith in Jesus Christ, is joy. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, right? Philippians chapter 4, Paul says again, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, here's the context of, in chapter 5, why Paul says, rejoice evermore. We're told in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 that the Thessalonian church received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Now, two times we've read that the Holy Spirit is our source for joy. That means that it's, an outside, it's outside our fallen human power and capacity. So it's received as a gift. And as one commentator says, their joy, this is the context of 1 Thessalonians, their joy 
was, if you read chapters 1 through 5, you'll see this. Their joy was closely associated with their confidence in future salvation and vindication as part of the community of God's people. They were called to rejoice very simply because of what Jesus had done for them. Not because there were trials in their life. Not because God was going to put band-aids on all the bad things that, have, that, that had ever happened to them. But because Jesus had come. Because Jesus had solved their big, biggest problem in Christ. The joy that comes from the Holy Spirit, excuse me, the, the confidence in future salvation and vindication that Christ is coming back to vindicate is the context of Paul's command in chapter 5, rejoice always. So friend, your power, your source for joy is bound up in the gospel and what Jesus Christ has done for you at the cross. Joy comes from the Holy Spirit. It's not based on the ebbs and flows of possession or loss, good times or bad times, but in the power of the cross and the assurance of God's direction, his care, and his victory. He has won the war. He has won the war. And you say, well, how do I understand that in light of the tragedy of my life. And I know those are mysterious questions, friends. But I know this, and I know this for certain, that Jesus Christ is coming back with a sharp, two-edged sword coming out of his mouth with the saints behind him. This is in the book of Revelation. To take the earth back. Amen? Amen. He's coming back, friends. The joy that comes from the Holy Spirit is based on your assurance that Jesus has won and that he has rescued you. That he has reconciled you to the Father when all you deserved and all we deserved was the judgment that would come from his, his just punishment for our sins. But instead, he put it on his Son. You see, when you meditate on this, even through tragedy, what comes up in your heart is great jubilation for what he's done for you. So our joy is bound up in Christ, in the gospel. To remain certain, quote, to remain certain of God's future salvation, without such conviction, joy would not be possible in the face of affliction, suffering, and death. That's where we get it, friends. To remind ourselves of the gospel. The child born to die in our place for our sin, the advent of Christ, is the advent of joy. You remember in our readings, who is this Christ? Who is this child? What will he, he do? Well, let's just think about it for a moment. Let's meditate on this. The government will be on his shoulders, not Trump's. Right? Sorry for those of you who like them, like him, and but good day for you for those who don't. Right? <laughs> the government will be on his shoulders. The greatness of his government and peace will have no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time forth and forevermore. That's glorious, friend. That one day when we shed our earthly bodies and enter into our heavenly bodies, that forevermore we will live in the righteous justice and perfect peace, love and joy of Christ without end. Oh, and by the way, you are co-heirs with Christ in this rule. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, fully God, fully man, 
made in human likeness, humbling himself, obedient to death on a cross. And you know why he did this? So that we could be with him. So that he could rescue us out of the pit. Oh, what marvelous love, isn't it? What immense favor God has shown us in Christ. And in this is our foundation and our source for rejoicing. Friend, if you don't know Jesus, would you just this moment cry out to God in repentance for your sin? Embrace this love and this work that Christ has done for you. Nothing is better than it. Nothing causes the heart more jubilation, more fulfillment, more happiness. Come to Christ. Trust in him. You have joy available because of Christ right now. It's yours. Grab it. Take it. David said, oh, the joy, restore unto me the joy of my salvation in Psalm 51. You remember this? Repeatedly, the Old Testament scriptures remind us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And it's that joy that comes from the Lord that overcomes our misery in our lives. It's realized when we, be, when we come to believe that he has made us the objects of his immense favor and love. It's the assurance of security in the Lord. You are secure because of Christ's death and resurrection. You are secured a home. You are secured a good dad. You are secured a a family relationship with each other. You are promised these things. Joy is your birthright. We have access to this unrelated to circumstances, able to take us through and bring us out of any grief. Come to realize that in Christ, all of your sins have been forgiven and receive that joy. Aren't we reminded? This is just very simple, very basic. You remember that? That classic text of Scripture that kind of Charlie Brown made famous? An angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you this day, God's going to make you rich. Oh, no, wait a minute. No, it doesn't say that. Um, Unto you this day, God's going to take away your disease. No, it doesn't say that either. Unto you this day in the city of David is born a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. A Savior, a rescue. Oh, what great love. The good news that brings great joy, it's not that God's coming back to take away all of the bad things that have happened to us, to heal all of the diseases or make us rich. but to provide us with a Savior who, who forgives any repentant sinner, reconcile, reconciling us to our Father, a great dad, assuring us of his paternal affection and care as co-heirs of Christ. And you know what? I've said this before, but I love it, so I'm going to say it again. Christ loves you the same way. I'm, I'm sorry. God the Father loves you the same, with the same love that he loves his own dearly born son, Christ. That's fantastic to me. Because there's a big difference between me and Jesus. Did you know that? <laughs> if, I, if I counted all the ways in which I rebelled against the Lord and yesterday, <laughs> the, the fact that he loves me, a prodigal, and doesn't 
throw me away, that he rescues me. It, it, it causes me to want to obey him more, doesn't it? To, to evaluate my life and to think like, wow, this God really loves me. I want to follow him. I want to follow this God. The advent of Christ, friends, is the advent of joy. As we walk through the, you know, we walk through valleys of death, don't we? We need some resources. How do we remind ourselves of this in times of trouble, in times of grief? And that leads us to my second point, the community. This is how we access this joy of the gospel, the community. If you recall in our text, it says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, brothers, sisters, so he's talking to more than one person, right? It's actually, he's talking to a church. We ask you, brothers and sisters, rejoice always, together. And it's vital to not miss this here because it's something that's very important. The context and the power for our rejoicing in the gospel is found in community. That's where we find it. Brothers and sisters, it says. There is this call, command, and sometimes presumption that Christians are naturally going to be living out their faith together. So Paul is writing to a local church who had been called out of darkness to light and commanded to forsake not their assembly, right? Salvation is more, friends, but it's certainly not less than our lives and our union together in Christ. Now, it seems in our modern world, I know we don't really like the idea, the concept of church membership. It's very, it's, sometimes it's, it's an ugly concept to us. It sounds exclusive and clicky. We just don't kind of like it. Um, and no doubt our Christian fathers and some, some, maybe some churches even today have their own brand of legalism and they end up becoming like that. You know, so it just gets a bad name. But no matter how we might feel about it, we just can't get around the many passages of Scripture that tell us to live together, grieve together, rejoice together, worship together, share with one another, encourage one another, be, uh, come under the authority of pastoral care together. We might suggest, you know, I, I, can do all, I can do all this through regular attendance, but I don't really have to commit myself to a church, per se. But that's kind of like saying that you can live with a girl and not marry them. Isn't it? And also defeats the purpose of, of salvation. It, it, it honestly does. To announce to a body of believers, and what is the purpose that, that, of, of coming to Christ, coming to faith in Christ and joining to his people? We're announcing to a body of believers that you too are a believer, that you're committed to each other um, to, to all, do all these things together, to hold each other accountable, to share with each other, to worship together. Being noticeably and intentionally joined to and acknowledged by that community. You see? How on earth would a shepherd know that one of his hundred sheep is missing unless he knew he had a hundred sheep? You see, there's only one way that he knows that is if he knows who his sheep are. What's more and more to the point, the church, the community, it's God's power tool. It's like his DeWalt drill for joy. It's how you get joy in your life through suffering. Brothers and sisters rejoice. It means that we get power from the joy and the encouragement of the community of God's people. Dr. Spencer I remember him telling about his dad and how he slipped into that depression and that discouragement and died in that condition, but his mom didn't. 
His mom received healing. His mom found joy at the other end. And here's why. This is what she says. Being in, com- uh, excuse me, um, what, pre- I lost my spot. What preserved the mother through each crisis was that she found Christ's comfort by depending on the resource of Christian community and its care ultimately. And in its care, ultimately, she found joy. You see, that's the, the function of the body of Christ. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And friends, we just don't find healing for our souls when we put that drill on the shelf. We just don't. Being in community, quote, is not something a Christian does or should do. True community is something that Christianity is. That's what it means to be a Christian. Gospel community is God's resource for enduring suffering and realizing joy. And when we neglect it, we greatly reduce our capacity to grow and to heal. The kind of gospel community that you need is more than simple Sunday service coming to a church service. But it needs to include so much more than that. Now, we all might know that certain church, sometimes church communities can be ugly places, right? You can say, how is anyone going to find love in this place? <laughs> right? Sometimes that can happen. But, the, but, but when the church strives to be a gospel community, it shouldn't. It should never happen. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, if you go back on your own and you read verses, the, all the whole thing, verses like 1 through 20, the whole chapter, this is what Paul says to the church. This is the gospel community that can really realize healing and joy and happiness and completion. He says, acknowledge and hold each other in high regard. That each person in this room should be held in high regard. Highly esteemed. Not annoying. Not the person that, you know, kind of rocks in their seat and it kind of distracts me and ticks me off. Right? Like, we, we're people. We get on each other's nerves, don't we? But the scripture says, hold each other in high regard. Love and live in peace with one another. Live in peace with one another. That means that we got to have real conversations at times. we got to confess sin at times. we got to forgive sin at times. If we're going to live in peace together, warn and encourage one another. Be patient with one another. Don't pay back evil for evil, but do good to each other. Rejoice together. Pray together. Give thanks in all circumstances together. Test what's being taught in Scripture. Be holy. On and on, Paul Paul is going, friends, if we don't live out these commands, we are going to become a very dysfunctional community and counterproductive to the joy and growth in Christ that could be ours. So if we just kind of sit back in our chair, this is my point in saying this, If we don't strive to live this kind of life together, we are doing a disservice to each other and to people who would join us later. All we really are is a show at this point. You're watching me preach a sermon, and it's nice, and it makes you feel good, and then you go home, and that's it. You know, we could just do that on TV. There's a lot better preachers than me, you know. You just watch them. Go home, watch them on TV. But, But church isn't just about good preaching. It should include that, but it's not just about that. It's about us. It's about being together, crying with one another, rejoicing with one another. It's not just about hearing good sermons. So we need to ask hard questions. Do we live authentically, intentionally, sacrificially with each other? 
Should we live any less at arm's length? It's just going to be to our own peril. When Christ was born, he did not come just to save me. He came to save us. Amen? Praise God. (laughs) The advent of Christ, friends, is the advent of joy, empowered by his people. And thirdly, number three, um, fueled by the presence. What I mean by the presence is the Father's presence. You cannot heal without being with your dad. You can't. You cannot have joy without being with your dad. Our text tells us to continually pray. Did you see this? Pray always and continually be thankful in all things. This to me is telling us that we need to regularly and daily speak to our dad. And if we don't, we are reducing our level of joy. We are making it impossible to rejoice ourselves and with each other. constant prayer, persistent thankfulness as an inward and daily devotion. This fuels our joy. Consider the the prayer. This is the prayer of the prophet Habakkuk. Try to say that one. Um, The prophet, some Habakkuk, I don't know. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. this This is his prayer. Listen to this. Though the fig tree does not bud, And there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Do you know what he's saying here? I I got got nothing to show for my life. Everything's falling apart. I'm losing everything. I got no money. I got no food. I got no livelihood. I got no job. Right? Though the fig tree does not bud, the grapes on the vines are, are gone. The olive crop has failed, yet, in verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. He knows that just because he doesn't have grapes now doesn't mean that on the other side, when Jesus returns, he will have plenty. Right? That's faith. That's hope. That's trust. That's a world with windows. You can see through the problems of your life and have hope in what God has promised. The sovereign Lord, in verse 19, is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. What is he doing? He is praying himself out of misery. He is praying himself out of despair because it's so easy to meditate on your fruitless tree and only think about it and forget that there is a sovereign Lord who is your strength that makes your feet like a deer. So this man, this godly man, this prophet, in his private prayer, spoke out loud the truth worthy of great joy that God was his savior. In spite of the the budless tree and the grapeless vines, God was his savior and strength and friend. If you trust him this morning, he is yours too. You trust in him. He's meditating on God's power, on his direction, on his love for him until his heart was exploding with joy and strength. See? He reminded himself of the omnipotent and eternal care of his God in a time of great trial when, when all of his physical safety was being threatened. He could still rejoice, and so can you. Now, I like these wise words. The true recourse in suffering is turning to those who care for us, divine and human. See? 
human, the community, divine, God, and prayer. You see? The true recourse in suffering is turning to those who care for us, divine and human. And prayer is the great recourse to our divine and loving parent. Beautiful. Very many prayers are made in distress. You know this? People who are in trouble, who are honest, who are scared, who are hurting. I remember going through a time in my own life of just great personal heartbreak. Um, Just feeling like I hit the wall. (laughs) Just lost and depressed and confused. Have you ever felt like this? And And I cried out to God very often in that time of distress, sometimes in tears. It was in those times of prayer that even though I didn't always see it, God was close to me and he was healing me. He was healing me because I was with him, teaching me, lifting me back up, putting me back on my feet. And eventually, he led me to a fresh vision of what he had done for me, his great love for me in Christ, that I can lose everything in the world I can lose all my possessions, all my friendships, but I will never lose the love of Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? Joseph Scriven, have you ever heard of him? You will in a second. <laughs> You'll know who this is. Um, he, wa- he lost his wife um, also in a drowning accident. And he writes these words. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are you weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do your friends despise, forsake you? Wow. Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms, he'll take and shield you. You will find a solace there. What a friend we have in Jesus. You see, that's the pool of joy that you need to draw your water from. He is our friend because He has come. The baby in the manger has made us friends with God. The advent of Christ is the advent of joy. Have you ever heard of Pollyanna? (laughs) My mind immediately goes to the Disney movie, Pollyanna. But it was actually a book written by Eleanor Porter. Young Pollyanna, in, in one of the chapters later on in the book, is counseling this discouraged pastor. Um, this pastor was just depressed because of the conflicts, the, the conflicts and jealousies and divisions that he was finding um, in his church. And young Pollyanna is counseling this discard. She's a little girl. Um, with the words she had, her dad was a pastor who had died and she was an orphan. That's what the story is about. So she's counseling this grieving, um, disgusted, discouraged pastor. The sad minister um, it says in, a, in, in, in the book that was in a church of endless fighting, gossiping, dividing, jealousy. It was a sick community. And these are the communities, by the way, that make us not want to go back to them when, if we've ever seen them. Places that should be hospitals for suffering 
end up injuring people even more. And we often expect, right, to be devoured and not comforted. So this minister, he's in this kind of dysfunctional church, and he's ticked off. He's about to preach a message, woe unto you, right, scribes and Pharisees. This is actually in the book, you know, a little sermon. A little, he's writing a sermon, and it's scathing. It's awful. It's mean. He's, he's, he is ticked off, and he's about to let loose the next Sunday. And Pollyanna stumbles across this guy um, writing the sermon. Outside, he was outside. And she gives him wisdom from her own dad was a pastor. He, she says this to him. Most always, he said, her dad, that he wouldn't stay a minister a minute if twasn't for the rejoicing texts. Of course, the Bible didn't name him that, but it's all those that begin, be glad in the Lord, rejoice greatly, shout for joy, and all that, you know, such a lot of them. Once when Father felt especially bad, he counted them. There were 800. Rejoice evermore. In the midst of schemes, in the midst of schisms, in the midst of betrayals, in the midst of jealousy and abandonment, rejoice evermore. Be exceedingly glad. For unto us, in the city of David, this day is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Amen? Amen. I think that's true for all of us. I don't know many of us wouldn't stay Christians members one to another if it wasn't for the rejoicing texts. In the midst of our most profound struggles, there those two words are, rejoice evermore. Rejoice. Christ has come. He has conquered. He has saved. Come get the joy. Amen? Let's pray. God, you are so good to us, and we love you. We know, Lord, that times of suffering come to us, times of loss, times of grief. We pray, Lord, that through it, we would find the hope that is there for us in Christ and that the joy of our salvation would be restored. God, we ask, like David prayed this morning in Psalm 51, we ask this for every person sitting in this room today. Restore unto us the joy of our salvation. God, you are so good, and we love you. And we ask you this morning that if anyone, doesn't, anyone here doesn't know Christ, that they would put faith in Jesus Christ this moment. If that's you, friend, would you come to trust Christ right now? Cry out to him. Pray to him. God, I'm a sinner. I'm separate from you for my, because of my own sin. I, I don't deserve your love. I deserve your justice and your wrath but you sent your son, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, humiliated himself and died on a cross that I deserve to die on. Friend, if you're trusting in that right now, that death is for you. And you are saved. And you are reconciled to your maker. I just want to encourage, if that's you and you're coming to faith in Jesus Christ, would you just come tell me after service so that I can pray with you, rejoice with you, and talk to you more about our good God? God, we love you. We thank you that we have an invitation to rejoice evermore. In Christ's name, amen.